Good evening and welcome to Teachers Talk Radio live. If you're listening back as a podcast, thanks and enjoy. Let's get on with the show. Live from London, this is The Late Show with Noreen Khalid on Teachers Talk Radio. Good evening. The time is 8 o'clock. The date is the 17th of November. We are live on Teachers Talk Radio. On tonight's show, we will be discussing school leadership, what's the definition of a school leader, are people born or as school leaders or are school leaders made, followed by a discussion on ITE and behaviour management. Any questions about any of these, then please call. Live from London, this is The Late Show with Noreen Khalid on Teachers Talk Radio. Tune in live on the Podbean app or desktop player. Just head over to www.podbean.com slash lsw slash ttradio or search Teachers Talk Radio. Follow the hashtag ttradio. A very well, warm welcome to you all. Um, it's really great to have you with uh, with me. Uh, this is your show, so do join uh, the discussion by either calling in or using social media. Um, if this is your first time tuning in or you would just like to find out a bit more about us, um, then please head over to our website, www.ttradio.org. If you have thought about hosting a radio show of your own but didn't know where to start, then our website has details about how to get in touch with us. The team will be delighted to hear from you and you may become one of our latest hosts with a show of your own. So on tonight's uh, show, I have two fabulous guests. Jennifer Barker will be joining us first to talk about school leadership and Kevin McLaughlin will join me in the second half of the show to talk about ITE and school uh, and behaviour management. So, um, Jennifer, hi. Are you? Are you? Can you hear me? Are you there? I think Jennifer hasn't joined yet. So while we wait for Jennifer, um, so this is. A, a, can you hear me now? Oh yes, I can. Hi. Yeah. Hi there. I don't know if there's something wrong with my headphones. I'm just going to go and get a different pair just to try. Yeah, I could hear you there. Sorry about that. That's all right. No problems. Um, this, this is the this is what happens when in life. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I was using the headphones like just earlier today as well, so don't know quite what's going on. Okay, that's fine. Um, right. So, welcome, Jennifer. Thank you so much for joining us. Um, Thank you for having me. So, is it all right to call you Jen or? It, yeah, uh, Jen. Jen is Jen. Jen is great. Thank Lovely. you. Thank you. So, um, Jen is the senior dean of learning at Ambition Institute where she oversees the learning design team. Prior to working at Ambition, she led the design team at, at Teach First for nearly six years. And before that, she spent nearly 10 years in teaching and senior leadership roles in schools in Manchester. She's currently studying for a doctorate at the University of Manchester. So welcome, Jennifer. Thank you for taking time out on, on Wednesday evening to come and join us. Um, no problem. Can you hear me now? I've got a different pair of headphones in yes yes yeah i can Great. hear you perfectly well thank you oh um so what about uh, what's your phd on so uh, it it's a um so it's an eddie uh, a doctorate in education and um i've sort of 
focused on a number of different things. So the, the way that the, the doctorate is structured at Manchester, the way that the idea is structured, is you write a series of um, sort of research papers, so kind of 10,000 words in length, um, building up to a, a thesis. So the, the focus of those papers is varied. So I looked at teacher assessment. Um, I've looked at sort of models of, of school leadership. And I'm working on my thesis at the moment, and I'm looking at the kind of the work practice of um, trust, trust CEOs and head teachers with a view to better understanding the, the, what sort of constitutes what's termed in the literature as their demanded practice. So what's kind of demanded of them as individuals in the, in the roles that they have and in the work that they do. Mm-hmm. And then what's their enacted practice? So what do they actually do? Um, and what might be some of the sort of discrepancies, I guess, between, between those two things? And why might some of those discrepancies be occurring? Right. It sounds fascinating. Yeah, uh, it is. It is fascinating. It's a lot to fit. It's a lot to fit in, yeah. but I really enjoy it. I do really enjoy it. I, uh, are you hoping to? Uh, when do you hope to finish or submit? So I'm. I'm hoping. I'm, I'm hoping. I, I think it always ends up taking longer yeah. than you think it's going yes. to. But I'm hoping it'll be a little over a year before I'm able to um, submit submit a thesis. Lovely. So, uh, so it's about a year. Uh, at least a year till we can read some papers coming out of your thesis then uh, yes yeah yes. it'll be, it certainly be a little while <laughs> oh, no, that will be wonderful too it's because it, it does sound fascinating right yeah. so we uh, so, uh, best of luck with that I know the last Thank slog is, is the you know it takes you feel as if you're almost there but not quite and yes uh, so, <laughs> best of luck with that Thank um, you. so we are going to be talking about school leadership tonight um, but perhaps first, it's best to start with um, your thoughts on why schools are important. Uh, we know, obviously, that they are places we send uh, children to get an education, um, mm. which is one of the reasons why effective school leadership is important, so that they um, they get a good education. But is there more to schools than ensuring that children leave with the clutch of grades, which parents and employers mm. use as an indication of how well they were educated? So I would say I would say absolutely. Um, I think one of the things that I find really interesting is, and I'm I'm borrowing some of this from um, conversations I've had with Peps actually, Peps McRae, who I work closely with. Mm-hmm. This idea, you know, that what is it that separates, you know, humans as a species from other um, individuals? So sorry, from other animals, mm-hmm. and um, you know that that is this it's it's our, our ability to kind of accumulate knowledge you know year after year and generation after generation and you know schools are our they're the vehicle if you like they're one of the ways in which we can pass from one you know generation to another um the the sort of the collective body of knowledge that we we have come to you know come to know about over the sort of the time that we've existed or certainly you know been been recording that existence and um and that goes far beyond um exam grades i mean you know exam grades are they're part of it they're part of a whether we like it or not they are part of the way that we that we do um judge individuals you know ability um but they are i would say that they are just one small part of it um and actually you know what 
what we have come to to, to know and understand over the, the years that we have, that we have existed is a is an incredible it's a, you know it's, it's a wonderful thing for, for people to have access to so I think you know for me schools are they are a means of of disseminating um and continuing you know continuing the the continuing as, as, as a species to to grow and and um you know make sort of effable that you know knowledge which we considered to be ineffable um you know many years ago children are, are going to be the next group of individuals who uh, help us grow that body of knowledge so i i think you know schools have a huge role to play in um setting children up to, to contribute to that thank you uh, yeah i completely agree with that and which goes to show why school leadership is so important Mm. And, and why is it so important to get it exactly right? Um, yeah. But who is a school leader? What is the definition of a school leader? <laughs> uh, this is a, that's a great question to which there definitely is no good answer. Yes. I mean, if you really get into the depths of academic literature, um, it's a school leadership is a it, it, it's such a contested concept. You know, there are there, there's a there's a school of thought which would argue that. Um, school leadership is a is just a myth it's kind of been constructed um as a concept to you know a, a, if we're talking right at the sort of critical end of academic literature it's been essentially it's been constructed to um create a group of individuals who um sort of carry out the the demands um of you know of government and and and, and other sort of organizations um I think that's quite an, ex- that's, it is, a, you know, is, that is definitely a, an accepted sort of perspective uh, in some kind of circles. And then, and then you have, you know, the everyday lived reality, the kind of pr- just the very pragmatic view that there are individuals in school who carry certain responsibilities, who, you know, have, they have the title of school leader in whatever capacity that is, middle leadership, senior leadership, executive leader, or whatever it is. And, and you have, you know, those people, uh, they have certain responsibilities and, and they have certain duties to carry out, you know, because they are, they have been sort of afforded that title. Um, and then there are, you know, sort of various schools of thought in the middle around, um, you know, what what constitutes school leadership. So the different um, theoretical perspectives around things like transactional leadership, transformational leadership, instructional leadership, that's, that sort of thing. So it's, it's definitely not um, a, an easy question to answer. I, I think since you know, starting at ambition and, you know, really getting stuck into some of the literature around school leadership. I'm, I guess I'm, I'm less convinced it's a, it's a, I don't want to say leadership's kind of not a thing, but I I think we, we want to start thinking about the work that school leaders in different ways. And, and we're probably going to come onto this and you're probably a little bit familiar with some of the things that, you know, for example, Tom and I have written, Mm -hmm. Tom Reese, who who works, who also works at Ambition. Um, You know, we, we want to sort of move away from some of the um, existing sort of bodies of literature, particularly what, what has been described as the orthodoxy in school leadership. So this idea that leadership is, um, it's about the individual. It's about these sorts of generic skills and competencies that individuals hold, perhaps personal traits or characteristics. You know, we want to be moving away from that towards a, a different view of, of school leadership, which, you know, I can talk about in a bit, bit more detail, I suppose. But um, 
yeah sorry that's a very long and rambling answer to, to no, you know what a... might be considered a, <laughs> a simple question well it's a, it's it's not a simple question because leadership isn't simple and schools are not simple yeah that's so, very true so so that leads me on to something which i was going to ask later on but maybe that's it's a good point to bring that in now um are there any personal traits which you which which effective leaders we think should possess or or not so i think it Depends what you probably mean by personal traits. Are you talking about things like sort of personality kind of characteristics? Yes, being, you know, being uh, charismatic, um, enthusiastic, uh, you know, attention to details, stuff like that. Yeah, so so I think probably um, there probably aren't like as as far as, um, you know, I think the literature sort of suggests the focus on... um, you know, sort of those sorts of personal traits and characteristics is very unclear in, in the, the, or certainly the um, the evidence around to what extent those make a difference for leadership is it's limited. That's not to say, and I think it's worth, you know, prefacing this entire conversation with, you know, the, the evidence around literature is, is um, it's, it's not great. Um, you know, the quality of it isn't, isn't always isn't very good the breadth of it isn't always kind of very good um and 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 we have to sort of make some bets really um and we have to hold hold some of those things lightly because there's not a um there's not a really good body of literature that we kind of kind of can draw really categorically um upon um i so there's there's very there's not um sort of Evidence, I don't think, points to sort of strong relationships between certain characteristics of leaders and ultimately the impact they are able to have. Um, and so to give a concrete example of that, there was a paper, the um, Seven Strong Claims About um, School Leadership, which was published um, about 10 years ago and then revised again very recently. The section around kind of personal characteristics um, was the one section that, that so it's the paper by Ken Leithwood and some colleagues, um, you know, that section sort of talking about kind of principal characteristics, they essentially sort of removed from the updated version and said, you know, there just isn't really the evidence to suggest that, um, you know, these are things that we should be focusing on. So that's the, that's the first thing to, to, to note. So there's not, strong, there's not strong evidence in the literature to say that, you know, to have these characteristics, you know, it's going to, to sort of make more of a difference. And then I, I think the other thing that's worth saying then in relation to... Um, you know, the development of individuals, the development of, of, of leaders around the work that they do, there's not a lot of evidence to, 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 to suggest that actually those sorts of things are, are you know, you, you can change them. You know, the sorts of, um, you know, personality type characteristics are typically shown to be quite fixed. So the strongest evidence, I think, is around um, the big five, which you may be familiar with. So, um openness and conscientiousness, extroversion, agreeableness and neuroticism. So those are kind of five sort of relatively empirically kind of robust, um, you know, uh, uh, personality traits that have been identified. And actually what we find is that those are relatively fixed. Um, And so actually attending to those as part of, for example, leadership development is probably not not as, um, it's not likely to be as beneficial as attending to other aspects of um 
uh, a leader's development because they are those things are very difficult to change. Oh, we've just had a message. Um, somebody's saying, could you say those again, please? They missed them. The big five. Yeah. Yes. So the, 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 the acronym that I always remember is OCEAN. Um, and so it's openness, conscientiousness, extroversion, agreeableness and neuroticism. I'm not looking at that. So I've, I, I'm pretty sure that those are the five. But if you Google the big five, big five personality traits, that's what that's what you'll get. Lovely. Thank you. This then takes me on to my next question, which again, um, you know, follows on really well. Are good, um, effective leaders, are they born or are they made? <laughs> yeah, great, great question. So I, I think our sort of view view on that is that they they are they are made. I mean, I, I think there are there are probably some instances of individuals who were just going to be they were going they were going to be successful in whatever they did. You know, the the sort of the Obamas of this world. You know, there there are people who probably have things within their kind of personality that um you know set them up very well to you know become you know very sort of competent sort of high profile figures. Um, but what I would say is there's probably lots of people who who are born with those um, sort of characteristics who don't go on. We obviously, we don't know about them because you never, you don't find out. Um, and so actually, I think a lot of what we're talking about in terms of what we want to see from school leaders, a lot of that can be, it can be developed. It can be kind of inculcated um, in, in individuals. Um, and that's, you know, I think that's really that's really promising. Um, there might be, um, you know, the the Obamas of this world, but those you know those people don't they don't grow on trees, and I don't expect that there are, you know, loads of them just sort of waiting in the wings to kind of move into positions like this. And you know, when we look at the school, the teacher workforce, you know, there are four hundred and fifty thousand teachers um, in this country. Um, we sort of estimated that you know, if just fewer than half of those have some sort of leadership responsibility, uh, be that, you know, a, a TLR or a middle leader or, you know, right through sources of executive leadership. So we're talking about huge, huge numbers of people. So it, it's, it, you know, we can't, it, in a way, it's, it's good that they're not, they're not born like that because, we, you know, I, I, I mean, I don't, I don't know how you would even quantify the sorts of things that people would need to be born with. Yeah. But actually, we think it's a really positive thing that we think we can develop the sorts of characteristics, the sorts of knowledge and the sorts of practices that, um, you know, successful leaders can have. And so certainly our sort of view view of the literature, we, we think points very strongly to, to us being able to, yeah, to make or to develop um, sort of successful school leaders. So this this would be very encouraging to somebody who's just joined the profession, who thinks that you know in in the future they would like to go down the leadership role. They look at their school leader and think, well, you know, he or she is so, so brilliant at it. There's never I'm never I'm I'm not made that way. I I wasn't born with this, so I can't yeah. do it. But what you, what you've said gives them hope that uh, you know if you um, with the right development, with the right CP uh, professional development and input. Uh, if, if you know everyone who wants to be a good effective leader can perhaps be a good effective leader I, I think that's right and and I and I think what I find what I think is particularly important about it is that there's a real danger that um, in you know in talking about leaders that are born 
um, you know, they're born with these I mean, you're, not, you're clearly not born with the knowledge that it takes to be a, a school leader. So what we're sort of talking about, we're talking about kind of characteristics. Um, you know, perhaps you're really charismatic or you're dynamic or you're, you know, um, innovative or whatever it is. And, and my, my worry, and, and actually when, when, when we sort of a couple of years ago, when we really started look, sort of, you know, developing our sort of theory of change for, for leadership ambition, we did a, Tom actually did an analysis of... Um, job adverts for for school leaders I think it was for head teachers mm-hmm. and actually what you find is the sorts of things they're calling for you know it is these kinds of characteristics so they're like it's like just describing superheroes basically and and my worry with that is twofold so one is that first of all I, I don't know who I don't I don't really know many people who would describe themselves as all of those things mm-hmm. and so to describe what you're um, aiming for in in in, a, in recruitment like that you know you're probably putting people off um it's not we're not focusing i i don't think enough on you know like really knowledgeable um you know really prepared really competent leaders and then and my other worry is that those sorts of characteristics not exclusively but might might more typically define men mm-hmm. um and they they might less typically define you know for example some um demographic some some groups like BAME groups you know that sort of thing and so I, th- I think by you know one of our hopes in in sort of in, in certainly in some of the thinking that we've done around school leadership and kind of a different view of school leadership which is built around an understanding of, of an individual's expertise and I can talk about the sort of the model that we've developed is that actually it's 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 much more welcoming it's much more encompassing of 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 all people um of uh, you know of, me- of men of, of women and, and 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 sort of of different groups and and we know that there is a um a, a, a huge issue you know particularly with um BAME individuals you know that there is a, a a terrible lack of um you know certain groups in leadership positions and actually if we really if, if we're really serious about doing something about that um I think it's it's helpful to think really carefully about the language that we're using to describe the people that we want to see in these sorts of positions that's a really good point and um because um and especially for any governors listening in uh, that's something for us to take on board as well because mm. uh, when when head teachers are appointed or deputy heads or members of the slt are appointed it's uh, governors on the on the panel as well and yeah for, yeah for head yeah teachers, it's only governors so maybe as as governors we need to look at the language we use in our ads and and think about that that are we one putting off candidates secondly uh yeah. is that language inclusive or not so any yeah. governors listening and please make a note of this and <laughs> next time you apply uh either you uh put an ad out for a head teacher um do do look at the ad with, with the critical interrogate eye. it really yes. scrutinize the language because you're you're absolutely right you know whether we realize it or not um the words that we use <laughs> will be uh, absolutely um yeah having having an impact and and you only have to look at the stat you know there was a there was a poll i can't remember who did it in the last couple of weeks certainly looking at um the number the just the difference between men and women in deputy headship positions who are you know who want to move into headship positions and um you know the number of me- the percentage of men who want to move in i mean they were they were both like disappointingly low but the number of men who wanted to move into headship positions was still three times higher than the number of women which given that we are such a female led workforce yeah. um is is that's really disappointing 
I think to ha- you know to still be looking at those sorts of discrepancies. So yeah, we should really we should really think carefully about the language we use to talk about you know the the work that leaders do and and what it is that we want from them. Thank you. You just mentioned the model which you have developed um, hmm. for school leadership. Um, <clears throat> could you say a bit about that for us, please? Yeah, of course. So um, what what we are trying to, um, I guess, sort of have running through this kind of this theory of change or this this model that we've we've developed is this idea of of, of expertise. And actually, um, when we when we have developed this and sort of the research base that it that it's built upon, it it draws from um, many different fields beyond education. So the the expertise literature comes from a huge range of fields. So you know, medicine and sports and you know other 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 fields to education. But and it, and it actually it's a much more sort of empirically and robust evidence base than some of the evidence that we see in education. So we're quite confident with it as as, as an evidence base. And it's it essentially sort of predicated on the idea that expertise in school leadership much like expertise in anything actually relies on on expert mental models um, and we describe we define a mental model as um, the knowledge held, held by an individual and how that knowledge is organized to guide action and and you know mental models are that they're, they're, they're sort of representations if you like that we hold about absolutely everything that we do so you know from very simple things like you know the 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 um example that we always give us in, in presentations that we do you know have a mental model for what happens when you go into a restaurant and so actually you know even if you were to go into a restaurant in a foreign country where you've got literally no idea what anyone is saying you, you still broadly know what's going to happen you know you're going to get led to a table you're going to be you know asked to sit down they're going to take a drinks order they're going to take a food order and it's because you've done those things that you you have knowledge about that particular experience and that knowledge is organized in such a way that enables you to to make decisions um, to to act um, you know to, to behave essentially and these mental models are they're underpinned by knowledge and they're developed through um, you know through through instruction for example they're developed through experience um, and you know through often like significant you know for really expert mental models they're developed through quite significant amounts of practice and kind of really high quality feedback about about that practice and actually really well-developed mental models you know we think enable um they enable expert behavior essentially so the sorts of things that we might associate with expert behavior so things like problem solving um, intuition um pattern recognition they, they it, that's what's underpinning those sorts of behaviors so you know there's what we're definitely not saying is that you know um when it comes to problem solving is that you can teach kind of generic problem solving we don't think you can problem solving is a function of having a really rich mental model and having really rich knowledge about about a given subject but though that those mental models enable what we see as being expert behavior um so it's a term that was actually developed i can't remember when by somebody called kenneth Crake, um who talks about um you know a mental model being this kind of external view of reality um and and uh, the ability to sort of tr- you know try out alternative tests, different ways of working, and therefore behave in a in a sort of a more expert way. And so the the, the model really is um, it's it's about having that having a very rich knowledge that's organised around what we what we call um, the persistent problems of an individual's role, and 
persistent problem is a term that's drawn from somebody called Mary Kennedy, who is a, an American academic who in 2016 wrote a paper called Parsing the Practice of Teaching. Um, and she defined five persistent problems of teachers. So it's things like portraying the curriculum, exposing student thinking, managing student behavior, accommodating personal needs. Um, we have, we've sort of taken that idea and we've, we've come up with um, seven persistent problems of school, of school leaders. Um, so it's things like how do you um, establish a professional and supportive school culture and conditions? Um, how do you organize and teach a curriculum? Uh, this is sort of at, at the level of, of leadership, which is appropriate for your level. So, you know, that might be a middle leader looking at it from a department perspective. It might be an executive leader looking at it from a trust perspective. So we've got these seven sort of persistent problems. And what we're arguing is that um, an understanding of the persistent problems of your work and rich knowledge organized around these persistent problems will um, in, in, essentially enable you to, you know, sort of, uh, you know, act in an, in an expert way when it comes to addressing some of these problems. Um, and these problems are, they're not, you know, we don't use problem in the sense of or something is a problem. The problem obviously has quite a negative connotation. Um, we use it in a, in a slightly different way, but we think they are essentially they're challenges that are going to they're going to face every leader irrespective of how experienced they are irrespective of the context that they work in we think that they are things that the individuals have quite a high degree of control over so curriculum is something that we can do a lot about um and we also think that if these persistent problems are tackled really effectively then actually the outcome of the leader's work will you know it will be positive the leader will be able to sort of make good impact and that's that's the sort of the central premise, really. So so knowledge problems kind of coming together to develop these really expert mental models, so that leaders are able to behave in really expert ways. That is so fascinating. I I'm <laughs> just sitting back and just listening and taking it. I've, I've read the blogs, but uh, to hear you speak about it is is even even better. So <laughs> thank you. That's, that's really interesting. Um, I'm going to ask you a question, and I'll. I'll let you think over it uh, while we take a short break for the news and some ads. So Great. when we come back, um, I'd like you your thoughts on, um, can you ever design a leadership program which will, at the end of the program, deliver effective leaders because the context and culture of schools they go on to lead? Maybe I, I think you may have covered a bit of it in the previous answer anyway. Um, the, because the context and uh, culture of the schools will be different. Um, in in other words, what were the challenges you faced when drawing up the curriculum for the leadership program? So something mm. for you to think of over while we mm. take a short break <laughs> right. for the news and for the ads. We'll be right back. Don't go away. This is Teachers Talk Radio. And this is Teachers Talk Radio News. This is your latest Teachers Talk Radio News with Gail Glenn. A new documentary will follow primary and secondary schools in Nepal and Scotland as they join forces to learn from each other and tackle climate change. Into Film Scotland and Chapromo Studios in Nepal 
will film the documentary which will focus on the experiences which each have had of climate change using an interdisciplinary approach. Students are conducting research by testing air and water pollution, CO2 levels, temperature and rainfall, as well as undertaking litter analysis and assessing biodiversity. Acting principal teacher at Stobhill Primary in Midlothian, Donna Hanley said, the project enabled pupils to learn about climate change in a real life context. She said, with COP26, it is imperative that we make use of the Connecting the Climate Challenge programme and maintain this momentum to build on people's understanding and motivation to protect our planet for our future generations. Retired teacher Carolyn Coster from Bradford is taking her dog, who has been assessed by the charity Pets as Therapy, into schools to help children with their reading. The head teacher of Mepershall Academy said it has been amazing having Mrs Coster and Duke into school. She said, Lots of children struggle with reading. It's very difficult for them to read in front of people. But for some reason, when they read to the dog, all that stress is taken away from them and it really supports them with their learning. Mrs Coster lost her hands and feet after Covid led to sepsis in March 2020. This has been your daily education news briefing. Need support with your phonics teaching? Did you know Oxford University Press now has three DfE-validated programmes to help you? Read Write Ink Phonics, Floppies Phonics and the brand new Essential Letters and Sounds. Essential Letters and Sounds will get all your children reading well, quickly, using phonics books you may already have in your classroom. Developed by the Knowledge Schools Trust English Hub, it's affordable, easy to use and makes teaching phonics with letters and sounds more effective. Whatever your school's phonics needs, Oxford has the solution. To find out more and receive support from your expert local educational consultant, visit oxfordprimary.com forward slash phonics. Welcome back. Um, this is The Late Show and we are live on Teacher's Talk Radio. Before the break, I was chatting to Jennifer Barker about school leadership and we will be continuing this discussion. Um, and a little later on, I will be joined by Kevin McLaughlin, uh, who will talk to us about ITE and behavior management. Uh, so if you have any questions about any of these topics, please do phone in or text us and our uh, guests uh, will be happy to answer. So uh, welcome to uh, all everybody who has joined the call. Uh, I see there's somebody from Uganda, um, uh, Emma Williams was there. Um, James Cameron were there, Hero, uh, and some others who's uh, you know who've got uh, usernames rather than their names. So welcome everyone. Um, so Jennifer, thank you for uh, for joining us tonight. Uh, before we went on the break, we we were talking about um, developing a, a program t for to de to deliver effective leaders, if you will. So mm. what what other challenges do you think you, uh, mm -hmm. are there present or, or did you face, Jen, when you were drawing up this curriculum for the leadership program? 
Yeah, it's it's such a good question. And many, we face many, many challenges. Um, I think that possibly the one of the things that you're sort of getting at in your question is, you know, how do you design a program that mm-hmm. enables everybody to be successful irrespective of the very varied and kind of complex circumstances that they're working within? And I and I and, and of course that's incredibly difficult. And and part of that I think comes through um it comes through the substantive content. So what it is that you're actually embedding into your program. And I think part of it comes through the structure and sequence. So the sorts of we call them components, but the sorts of experiences that an individual you want an individual to have um, on your programs, the sorts of you know sessions that they're sort of engaging in. And then I think it comes through the kind of wider experience of the program. So how how are individuals supported to, um, you know, develop sort of social networks? Um, you know, we have we have what, what we call buddies on our program, which I can say a little bit more about. You know, sort of peers. How are you um, ensuring that they are are supported to connect to you know perhaps other individuals doing similar roles, that sort of thing. Um, and so to to touch on those sort of three things, so in the design of our, our programs, you know, a, a, a big, big focus is the, is the, is the quality and the breadth and depth of, um, you know, content about a particular area. So let's take implementation, for example. So part of the program that we design, we have something called primers, which is a, a synthesis, a distillation of essentially, you know, sort of the best that's been thought and said or written or researched or whatever about a given area. So, you know, in this instance, implementation and, you know, participants are taken through in a very structured way um, what that evidence base is, kind of where that evidence base has come from, um, what that evidence base, uh, sort of the implications of that evidence base for a school leader's practice. Um, There are sort of what we call examples in there. So really carefully crafted examples that we design alongside school leaders, so serving school leaders, to really bring to life what we think this this um, evidence base looks like in practice. So they get a really rich input of, of um, sort of, uh, you know, literature and evidence first. They're then um, supported to ap- apply, you know, essentially begin to Im- apply that in practice. So they have kind of modeled examples of what some of this, this work would look like embedded into practice. And then they have opportunities to go away and do that themselves. Um, according to the circumstances that they're working within and obviously they 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 kind of vary a little bit and they have a buddy who holds them to account around that so they have you know specific opportunities to come together to explore what it was they did why what the impact of it was um and they 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 kind of hold each other to account um and and then there are you know sort of wider opportunities to 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 come together to discuss to really dig into you know led by often expert facilitators so individuals who have often done the role um, that they are either aspiring to or, or, or developing within um, again to be really sort of um, supported but also pushed and challenged around the application of that that really rich evidence base in into practice and that it's that sort of connection really between it's not it's not I wouldn't say it's a simplest sort of theory to practice mm-hmm. but this idea that you know there is a there is a starting point from which we can learn, and sometimes that, that evidence base is more or less well developed. And there are certainly areas, you know, for example, in the MPQ frameworks, which is some of the programs that we're designing at the moment, where that evidence is is certainly scant. Um, but the, the 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 focus really in our programs is supporting individuals to translate it into their context. Um, and obviously, you know, we know that all contexts are, are unique, and we have we don't try to sort of control that too much. 
Um, but we, we do recognize that without those opportunities to put into practice and without those opportunities to get feedback on some of the things that they're doing, then, of course, you know, only showing somebody, you know, an evidence based around something is, is of course, going to um, it's not going to it's not going to do what, what, what needs to be done. We, we've done a recent review of um, our, our programs based on the EF um, uh, got the I can't think what the paper's called now, but the, the, the one about the, me the mechanisms, essentially. So you've got the IGTP, the four kind of categories of, of mechanisms around, you know, building knowledge, um, embedding practice, you know, motivating teachers and sort of goal setting and then developing teacher techniques. Um, and, and actually what we've, we've you know, we've, we've been very pleased that, you know, the, 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 the programmes that we have designed do reflect, you know, um, mechanisms from each of those categories really well. Uh, and, and, you know, ultimately, obviously, hope that the, the impacts on participants will be will be really strong. Thank you. That's, again, again, it's really fascinating. Um, we are about to come to the end of your section. Mm. So one, um, as you know, uh, you may know, I'm a governor. So, uh, yeah. <laughs> so this is a bit of a selfish interest. Um, how can governors help their school leaders develop? So mm. if you, you know, you've, you've done the program, you've you've uh, you've you've developed a school leader they've applied um we've appointed them but how can we now help them develop to get even better at leading the school yeah it's a really good question i'm governor as well and i think about this all the time i think there's so i think a lot of it is 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 a really sound knowledge base so so if 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 as an individual you have a strong mental model around some of these things mm -hmm. you are going to be able to engage in the depth of conversation that is needed to really interrogate. And when I say interrogate, I don't, I don't mean like in a threatening way, I, I, you know, the interrogation I think can be done in a really supportive way. Mm. Um, but it's only, it's only when I think individuals are equipped with some of this knowledge that they are able to um, interrogate both the thinking and, you know, the, the results perhaps, or, you know, whatever it is, whatever it is that, you know, you're, you're, you happen to be looking at. Mm -hmm. um, and so as much you know, be it training that you can go on or, or, you know, reading yourself. I know there's loads of really good stuff out there for governors, but to try and, um, you know, take on some of that yourself, I think is is important. You know, Vivian Robinson's work is, I think, is really, although it's not specific about governors, I think it's really helpful. So, you know, she talks about the importance of, of having knowledge. Um, and it's only with this knowledge that you can, like, you can always ask questions as a governor, but if you don't have the knowledge, you can't. You don't know whether the answer is is not right one, but is 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 robust enough, you know. So, or why haven't um, and you might ask a question. Well, why is attendance, you know, not as it needs to be? Oh well, because you know there's a million because of COVID, because of this, because of that. And if you haven't then got the the knowledge, you can't then dig into the next layer of questioning about you know what have you done to mitigate you know these these sorts of things and you know what have been. What's the quality of some of those interventions? So I think a big part of it is, is upskilling yourself in terms of the mental models that you hold around particular sort of educational concepts and ideas. And then I, I think I, I think a lot of it is just about asking really good questions. So based on obviously that knowledge that you have, um, you know, it's we definitely don't want want governors who are asking for reams and reams of data, and you know, because I think schools by and large produce far too much data that you know they often don't don't necessarily do anything with so i think it's it, it, it's about asking really sort of meaningful questions around how schools are responding to you know particular areas of challenge um 
you know knowing what those what, what the most sort of challenging areas are and, and and pushing on those those areas but doing so obviously in a, in a kind of a really supportive and challenging way unfortunately there were just no quick fixes to something like so, like this so are you saying that uh, by being an effective governor i can help my school leader become more effective i i i think so yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I i think i mean it, it's not to say you know you're going to be responsible for training them or anything yeah, like that, yeah. but I I do think the the work that a school leader can you know the work that school leader does I think can absolutely be be enhanced by the quality of you know support challenge and understanding that the, the level of rigor that a governor is bringing to some of those conversations I think I think it absolutely can it should and it should I think that's the role of governors I think they should be enhancing the the effectiveness of of the leadership team and the and the wider school school team thank you jen so any governors listening out um listening in please go for cpd yourself because as jen says if you are an effective governor you are helping your school leadership team become more effective i had loads of other questions because it's such a fascinating field um and so much to uh, to ask and 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 dig in um mm-hmm. But uh, we've come to an end to, of, of, to this section. So I think I'll have to have you and Tom uh, perhaps back again one day. To, that would be lovely. To... I'd be very happy. <laughs> Thank you so much. This, uh, you know, I can, I'll save my question, which I haven't been able to ask. <laughs> and we can take those again. Um, Brilliant. Thank you so much. And hope you enjoyed the rest Thank of you. your Wednesday night. Thank you. Thank, Thank you for there. having me. Thank it's been you. great. Thank you. Right, so that was Jennifer Barker, um, who was talking to us about um, school leadership. Um, the next half of the show is concerned with ITE and behavior. And for that, we have online Kevin McLaughlin. Hello, Kevin. Good, uh, good to see you. Hello, how are you doing? Uh, not too bad, thank you. Thank you for agreeing to be a host, uh, being a um, guest on my show um, on you know, this cold Wednesday night. It's absolutely fine. It's amazing what a blog post can get you these days. <laughs> yes. So keep writing, <laughs> keep blogging. <laughs> I yes. shall, I shall. Yeah. Now, I've been following Kevin on on this, um, on Twitter, so I, I sort of knew what he was talking about, but the latest blog which he wrote, and I thought uh, that's, um, that's a good blog to sort of ask him about. So... Um, uh, Kevin is a senior lecturer in primary ITE, and according to him, he also bangs the cognitive science drums. Would you like to say <laughs> <bit> about that? <laughs> <laughs> oh, goodness, where do I start? Um, I suppose it's all to do with Twitter. Uh, would you believe it? Um, uh, my, I suppose uh, people talk about professional development opportunities, um, reading books, listening to consultants, talking to other teachers. But there was a time um, where I didn't have much of that opportunity and Twitter was uh, gave me those uh, those opportunities. They opened those doors. They let me see what was available. And let, let me just read things that I, I didn't have access to or I didn't even realize. Um, and then uh, I think it was, when was it? Back in 2015. 2014, 26, I cannot remember. So there's this paper that was uh, released and basically not many people knew about it. But Tom Sherrington, isn't it that uh, teacher head? He uh, he blogs about it. 
and talks about this being something very important and talks about these things, uh, cognitive science. He's talking about uh, work by Rosenshine. He's talking about other bits and pieces. Uh, I start work, I start finding out about Dylan Williams' work, uh, which then connects me to other work. It, it connects me to uh, research at events. It connects me to people that I didn't uh, follow on Twitter. I start to follow them. And just because of those opportunities and that community that I was involved with, I find out more about this whole idea about what cognitive science has got to play with an education. And even though I am involved and have been involved in initial, t- in initial teacher education or ITT, initial teacher training, for now this is my fourth year, mm-hmm. even when I started, it was still something that was relatively new, that was not talked about, not discussed that much, not many people knew about it. So it was something that I um, myself was very keen on uh, looking into more and trying to get something about that into the uh, education that we provide to our trainees from uh, both backgrounds of PGCE or if they're in the degree program itself over three years. So it was something that I was very keen on and wanted to uh, get our trainees to be more involved with. So when we did, it was quite interesting to see their eyes light up and think, oh, this is interesting. So that's the cogside drum that I bang and I will continue to bang. Lovely, thank you. And I'll join you. (laughs) Yeah. Thank you. So uh, before you came into ITT, what what did you do before that? So I I graduated back in 96, believe it or not. Mm I... Start. I, I'd been teaching since '97. My first full-time role. I, I did uh, part-time supply for a year, but I'd, I've been teaching full-time since 1997. I've taught. Uh, I taught three years in this country during the. Um, I know some people liked it, but I was. I just very disappointed with the whole. Do you, do you remember the literacy hour and the numeracy hour? Oh, my goodness. That Leave that for a topic for another day. Um, I, I, I lasted three years and I left. I left teaching. I thought, I don't want to do this anymore. So I trained in TEFL. I went, uh, I did TEFL work. I did TEFL course. I went to Venezuela for almost a year and taught English there. I came back and then I went to Spain and spent eight years in Spain teaching in a, a, a British school in Gran Canaria. And then I came back to England and I taught through different classes i've taught from eyfs up to year six i've been an eyfs lead a key stage one lead a key stage two lead and even went as far as a deputy head teacher for approximately three Mm. and a half months Uh (laughs) (laughs) and i rapidly got out of that one and then i i I fell into ite uh, because i had a I've had a really good interest in it and I loved that opportunity to take students under my wing and show them the ropes almost, uh, let them have my class and really be there for them and to help them out as much as I could because I I always felt like we have to give something back to these trainees because we were once there ourselves. It's, It's that... It's almost like you know, when you sit behind uh, an L-plate driver yeah. and you think, oh, come on, just get <laughs> your, No, wait a minute. You were that L-plate driver many years ago. So yeah. just give them the opportunity to find out, to try things and, and encourage them because uh, ITE, ITT does that for everybody. And I yeah. think teachers who let these people come in, these trainees come into their class are just, uh, they're brilliant. They're absolutely amazing. And please, please, Oh, I can't hear Kevin. Is 
has Kevin dropped out? Hello? Is it me who's dropped out? <laughs> I have no idea. I think we, we seem to have a technical hinge. Uh, it may be me who's dropped out. Oh, Kevin, um, I think Kevin, we, we seem to have lost Kevin. We'll give, uh, so it's not, uh, yeah, we seem to have lost Kevin. Uh, we, um, I think what we'll do is we'll go to the ads, take an ad break, and hopefully by that, while we are uh, listening to the ads, Kevin uh, will hopefully sort out the technical hitch at his end, and uh, he can come come back again. So let's go to the ads. Need support with your phonics teaching? Did you know Oxford University Press now has three DFE-validated programs to help you? Read Write Ink Phonics, Floppies Phonics, and the brand new Essential Letters and Sounds. Essential Letters and Sounds will get all your children reading well, quickly, using phonics books you may already have in your classroom. Developed by the Knowledge Schools Trust English Hub, it's affordable, easy to use and makes teaching phonics with letters and sounds more effective. Whatever your school's phonics needs, Oxford has the solution. To find out more and receive support from your expert local educational consultant, visit oxfordprimary.com forward slash phonics. Welcome back. Hi, Kevin. Hello. Hello. I'm really sad. No idea what happened there. And these things happen when, whenever you're yeah. doing a live show or something or the other, you know. Uh, Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. So no, no worries at all. Um, yeah, so we were talking about how you um, you started teaching, um, then sort of uh, went abroad for a bit and then came mm. back and then decided to join ITE in order to give back what you had, um, you know, give back to the system. Yes, uh, yes. From yourself. Um, so that takes me to my next question uh, very mm. nicely. Um what is the state of the IT nowadays as compared to when you were training? What what has changed and has it changed for the better or has it not? Oh, right. So um, you may gather from my accent and not from around these parts. I'm from Northern <laughs> Ireland. So um, IT in Northern Ireland uh, was probably different from what was expect from what was happening in England. But I trained in uh, between 92 and 96. But there was a lot of um, very similar approaches uh, that happen in, uh, in ITE today, but I can only speak from my own university and from other establishments that I've been, uh, that I had opportunities to have a look inside or to have a talk to. Um, I think I would, I would sort of, I would say that ITE is in a much better state today than it was in years previous. Um, in years previous, uh, back when I was being trained, there was a lot of input about uh, learning styles and everybody had a preferred learning style and we all had to make sure that we adapted our lessons to every learner's needs. So that is not as apparent today, but unfortunately, it's still there. Yeah. It's hard to say, you know, it is. And I know many IT providers up and down the, the country will say, no, Kevin, that's not true. But there's something isn't right when we still have trainees that are in schools that are still p 
pushing this. So it's coming from somewhere. Now, if it's not ITE, it's not the institutions or the skits or the uh, whatever that may be, there has to be something that con- continues the, the the myths that are still apparent in our schools and uh, flogging sort of things that should not be in our schools. So um, I, I do believe it's in a better place. Uh, dare I say I put my hand up and I, I say that the ITT framework, um, the CCF framework, the core content framework, the, the, the review into ITT, um, I, I'm actually not as scared about all of that as others and i'm keeping my head down here because i know i i'm, I'm very very few in numbers if even if, if you even use the word numbers there might be less than 10 of us in the whole country <laughs> but i actually think there's not too many things that are wrong with this i think it's something important so there we go oh lovely thank you right now um, going on to behavior now now, yes. This is a hot topic, and especially oh. on Twitter, mm-hmm. <laughs> as you can imagine. So before we get into how how can we ins- uh, ensure effective behavior management, mm. tell us why is it important to teach trainee teachers about behavior management? So uh, the time I've had in uh, in uh, teacher education, in initial teacher education, it, time and time again, when trainees come back from classrooms, from their placements, uh, from the, uh, the the reflections that we have of those trainees and the reflections that they have, it's it's there's always a very similar message in different areas. Like for for one area, subject knowledge. Okay, you're a new tr- you're a trainee. You're having your very first uh, placement. Subject knowledge is not going to be high. So that takes time, that takes time to build. And we do tell our trainees, look, if it's a PGCE and you have one year or even three years, don't. It, it's not an immediate uh, issue if you don't have this subject knowledge. You need to have subject knowledge, believe me, you do. But you're not gonna have an infinite range of subject knowledge, uh, all the subject knowledge that you may need to teach in the subjects that you're teaching in a primary school. So I'm coming from this at a primary school angle. So um, that we tell our trainees, you will build this subject knowledge, the more experience that you have and the more reading that you, you do, and you've got to take time to do that. But one of the main issues that our trainees have in any of their placements is the is behavior management and how go how to best approach that in a school. So from an ITE perspective, uh, we, we always tell them, and I always tell my trainees exactly the same thing. If you want to have uh, good uh, behavior in your class, or if you want to have good opportunities to teach the children in your class and be an effective teacher in your class and to have good learning as a result of that, you need to ensure that the behavior in your class is also good. If you don't have good behavior, you will just focus on behavior management all the time and your teaching will suffer and learning in the class will suffer. Get the behavior right at the beginning, keep it consistent all the time, and you'll you'll just, uh, the, the reward will be great and you'll become a better teacher for that. Wonderful, thank you. And I don't, I don't think that's very, I don't think that's controversial. Really don't think that's controversial, but would you believe that that sometimes sounds to be controversial on Twitter? <laughs> yes, well, Twitter is Twitter, isn't it? Yes, yes it is, yes. Um, so if if behavior management is that important, um, yeah. then do trainee teachers get enough time during their training to, to learn about effective ways to manage behavior in classrooms, or is it just a you know just a bolt on 
maybe you know the last thing we'll tell you before you we send you off into the wild so uh it's it's, a, it's uh, all dependent on the institution okay so the uh, the IT in, uh, trainer whether it be a university based or school based or uh, whatever the, their course content has got to put uh, certain things uh, that got to be highlighted uh, and are going to be very important that trainees get a good in-depth look at it even though they have limited time so in a PGCE for example you have one year to get all this content that will make you an effective teacher. Well, effective in the in the sense of being a trainee teacher. And it, mm-hmm. uh, we've got to remind ourselves this is initial teacher training. We are not, we don't develop fully qualified teachers. We are the initial teacher trainers. And it's the schools who then employ these trainers, uh, these teachers, then take them through the next stages to achieve that qualified teacher status yeah. or the ECT. So um, it, behavior is a, a very important focus within our institution and I believe it is in a very important focus in any other institution that delivers ITE. The The Carter Review back in 2015 even picked up on the fact that the, 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 the evidence that, there, that this whole idea of behaviour management had to be prioritised in ITT programmes. And this is back in 2015. Tom Bennett's work with the government, uh, then picks up on this and suggests the reviews of the ITT programs to have a focus on behaviour because we realise, and research demonstrates it time and time again, that getting behaviour right is an essential part of ensuring that you have an effective teaching opportunity within those classrooms that you teach. Mm-hmm. So yes, it's got to be prioritised. Lovely. Can you hear me? And I oh, you can. Yeah. I can. Yes. Yes, I can. Okay. <laughs> yeah, no, I completely agree with you. If you haven't got the behavior right, then no matter how uh, much subject knowledge you have, you won't be able to deliver that if the behavior in your classroom isn't isn't good. Not at all. No. Yeah. yeah. So um, now I, I've heard of some. Um, you know, there are some schools where. The behavior policy isn't applied consistently consistent, mm. consistently ac- uh, across the school. So, um, what can a new teacher do in this case? When they, they go in, they've got this knowledge. They've they've learned about you've taught them about behavior management. They've they've learned about behavior management in the other school where they train. They're a co- new qualified teacher. They've got the new job. They start at the school and and they say see that. The school has a behavior policy, but nobody seems to be applying it in a consistent way. What what does a, te- a new teacher do then? Oh, goodness me. What a question to ask me. Um, <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> that's very unfair. I'll have leaders up and down the land on the foot on the radio listening to this going, Who, what does he know? What does he know? Um, as a trainee, uh, okay, so... I have to remove this from a trainee perspective because when trainees go into the classrooms, they can only uh, follow the school's policy. Mm-hmm. Uh, and as much as the, if the school dictates a certain behavior management policy, whether it, uh, that be a sort of discipline or um, a restorative practice approach, then that's the policy that the, the trainee must follow. They can't yeah. decide, oh, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to do this. What Kevin told me, this is much better. So yeah. they can't do that. Yeah. But when yeah. uh, a new teacher starts in a job, then um, I think 
it, it's really dependent on the, the teacher themselves. I'm hoping that most of our trainees, when they apply for jobs, will look at those behavior policies that schools have on their websites and think to themselves, is this the type of school that I could work in? Because I've had all this placement with different schools and I realize that this is the type of behavior management system that I would like to work in. And that's what they would hopefully go for, that type of school. But if they're in a school where the behavior is the type that they want to, to work in and everything seems to be uh, rose tinted glasses on the outside but when they actually get into the school on a day-to-day -day basis when they actually see it for what it is and things are not working the way they should be that trainee that new teacher I think has to look at their classroom and follow that policy that's in place in the school and be consistent with it because that's their class and I'm taking again I'll take it from a primary perspective because I, I don't work in the secondary side in a primary school perspective you have that one class for the every day for the entire year so you're not you're not having different classes coming in and out and different children and different year groups you're having that one class for the whole year and if you have a, a, a primary a primary school behavior management policy or behavior policy that you need to adhere to, you follow that and you don't deviate from it and you're consistent with it. Where that starts to fall apart, obviously, is when you go into the, into the school grounds, you walk around the school and you see other teachers letting children get away with certain little things or additional rules being brought in or certain little rules being kept to the wayside and I think that's where the issues start to lie and I think at the end of the day it was it was, a, it was a Bennett's uh, creating a culture of how school leaders can optimize behavior I think it's incredibly important that the school leaders need to work out which rules are the most important for their school and ensure that those rules are being followed and are being consistently applied across the whole school yeah, for a new teacher, I think it's difficult to sort of say, you know, knock the door the the head or the, the, uh, the whoever's leading the school and say, uh, excuse me, um, such and such done in year three. <laughs> you know, it's, it's very difficult, but I think we just need to ensure that our, those new teachers go into schools and realize that these policies are in place in order to keep everybody safe and in order to give teachers the best opportunity to teach well. I agree with you again completely mm. that um, not only, I mean, consistency doesn't only help the teachers, it helps students also. They know exactly where they, yes. where they stand and, mm -hmm. um, you know, they quite like to be told, you know, this is the line, you will not cross this line, whatever that line may be. But if everybody knows that, you know, this is what you do, this is how you behave, this is what you do in a class, this is how you behave in the playground, this is how you interact with your with your friends in the playground, this is how you speak to the staff and all of that. It just makes them makes their life easy as well because they know exactly what to do and what not to do. Yeah, I'm, no, I'm, I will put myself on the line here and I will say that this starts from EYFS. Mm-hmm. And there's no, I, do, I really don't see the, this discussion around, oh, we have to be careful how we treat these young little precious four-year-olds when they're in, uh, in, not nursery, in reception or four-year-olds in reception. And I've worked in reception for four years, almost four years. And I know people say, oh, that's not long enough. But for me, four years was definitely long enough in EYFS. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but um, 
what I found was that a consistent approach to the rules in the classroom and the behavior management structure in an EYFS classroom isn't about being horrible and strict and an un, uh, sort of an unfeeling and a, and a miserable type of teacher. It's about a teacher that is incredibly happy of being in that environment, wanting the children to be as successful as they can and bringing the children with them, knowing that these are our class rules, that the teacher says, this is what we are going to do. This is how we are going to do it, modeling the expected behavior from that young age. And if you get it right in reception, and you get it right then from reception, year one, year two, the whole way through a school, you've got this school that is a joy to work in, where no teacher has any issue with behavior. That's, you know, that's, uh, you know, it might be a dream for some people, depending on the schools they work in. And for others, that's what their school is. Mm -hmm. Their school is like that. So I think it's important to have a consistent approach, even from the EYFS, right the way through to year six and beyond. And beyond, yes, I agree with yeah. you there as well, because um, as a mom, I had expectations before my children went to EYFS, when they went, you know, when they were nursery and even pre-nursery, there were things they would not do, you know, they, they will not mm. take a crayon and draw on my walls. <laughs> so, they, uh, yes, <laughs> I mean, they did it once, obviously, all of them did, but they were, you know, I sat them down, explained to them and said, you know, the next time you do it, there will be consequences. You'll have to clean it up yourself. It's not very pleasant. Mm. And you don't want to destroy it. It's your house. It's your room. You don't want to make it look messy. And and believe me, I, the three of my girls, all three of them have, have drawn on my walls, but all three of them have drawn once. And, but I didn't. I wasn't horrible to yes. them, uh, but they just understood where I was coming from. I think it's important that um, we do... I don't know. This is this is another uh, difficult thing. Um, when I came across to England in 92, 92 it was, uh, and I was working, not 92, 96, and I started working in schools then in 97 in this country, I did notice a difference between what was happening in the schools in this country compared to what was happening in the schools in Northern Ireland. I don't know what that was, but mm -hmm. it seems to have continued. There's a... I don't know if it's family orienta the orientation of family, the respect of the elders within family structures, within Irish uh, families. I don't know what that is. I know I'm probably stepping around glass here in dangerous ground yet again, <laughs> but I'm never afraid to approach controversial discussions. So um, it's something that I'd noticed and I was aware of as, an, as a very new teacher where I would see things happening in a school and go, hmm, that's different. That would never have happened in the school that I was in Derry. That would never have happened because a teacher would have said this or done that or this would have expected and a parent would be brought in and so on. And things that I would see in this country being uh, this low level of disruption in class, which was is, is it's everywhere. Yes. Mm -hmm. But it's if you learn how to as a, tra a trainee and a new teacher, how to nip that immediately and say to the class you're not doing this. this is not what we expect this is not the standard that i've I expect in the class you're strict with it you're fair with it but you're you're firm at the same time that the class will respect that there is a routine built into the classroom and the whole organization of the class that the children are on board with the teachers on board with and it's a win-win for everybody concerned I um, agree. I agree. again you might agree but 
others might not <laughs> yeah, yeah others but, might uh, others yeah. might not <laughs> yes uh, but no, that's a that's a really fascinating point you raised about the difference mm. between um between northern ireland and in england and and maybe that's down to to the family i've, I've never thought about i mean i'm i'm the culture i come from you know you you have loads of respect for your for your elders um, mm. we, um we in fact you know we don't even take the name any you know my mum's friends i i i there are some of my mum's friends i don't know what their names are because we we never call them by name and that's how i raised my daughters as well that you you know any elder you have to but being in england i you know there were some women who did not want to be called auntie jane whatever because they, you know they 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 what are so I said this is you know my, my rule is that anybody who's older than you get res is respected my friends you call them you ask them are they happy to be called Auntie Jane if she says fine then you do and if she says not then it's fine not to call that particular Auntie Auntie but the rest who are fine with it you will still continue to do that so that's mm. the way we and um, yeah that's you know in Pakistan it's um, um, parents will at least when i was there i don't know whether that's changed because i've left the country you know years and years ago now but when i was there my uh, it was that your teachers were respected just as much as your parents yeah i find that in spain exactly the same uh yeah. same uh, hierarchical structures uh, teachers were respected by all members of the community um the mayors mentioned to a child that you were talked to their uh, grandmother. My goodness me, the fear that struck into their hearts. Uh, you would never use that, but it was always there if you needed it. <laughs> it was the same in Venezuela. <laughs> the yes. same in Venezuela. The, it's a very, very structured around family. And uh, what I found was that I'm not saying this is not a generalization for England because I do not need hate mail coming to my door. <laughs> it's, it's, I have found more occurrences of it than not, where if I need the support of a family uh, from some uh, places that I've worked in this country, I did not get that support. Mm -hmm. It was, I was told, you're the teacher, you, you do it. Yeah. I thought, <laughs> there's, a, there's a very big, uh, there's a, so much positivity from parents and from family being organized, uh, yeah. being um, involved with their child's education at yeah. home. We all know this from not just from an early age where uh, research demonstrates how, uh, how much more uh, improvement a child can make with terms of even just reading at home to a child, reading stories, being with them and talking to them about things even from just an early age, how that is going to help a child through their whole education. And getting that message across is just as important, uh, no matter what country we work in, that a family is involved with the school, the school's involved with the family, we're working to, with this together, we're working as one, and we want the best that we can with those children that we have in our care, that we provide the best education we can. And we can do that if we're all working on the same page. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you might laugh at this. There's, I know of one case where a parent wrote to the school asking for a really strict mobile phone policy. So the, the school said, well, you know, why do you want such a strict phone policy? We've, you know, we are quite happy with the one we've got. And the parent replied, because I don't want my child to have a phone. But if I tell them, they won't listen to me. So I need you to tell them not to have a phone. <laughs> <laughs> 
if if you know if you know my background from I started Twitter in two thousand and seven. Mm. Uh, my background has always been there's a technology side of my background, and I've always been interested in using technology and looking for ways to use technology in the classroom. Uh, there was even a time when I was looking even just, oh, look at this app. We can use this, this app. We can do that. We can. Yeah. I wrote a whole blog post back in the day that uh, this blog's now deleted, gone from my life. <laughs> to be seen again, so you can't find it unless Internet Archive. Internet Archive, everybody, you might find it. Um, where I used uh, Angry Birds for an entire two or three months work in maths and English and science. Oh, my God. <laughs> Right. <laughs> and I shudder about it now when I think back to it. Some of the stuff that I got up to, um, but, and how much my, uh, my sort of, my vision about what teaching is, what teaching is supposed to be, what where it's going, and now how much technology doesn't even look, have a look in, and how worried I am about technology within a school behavior system. Um, let me just say for a moment here, can I just get something off my chest, please? Yes, go on. If go that's on. okay. Yep. Um, have you heard of class dojos? Uh, yes. You may yeah. or may not. Yeah, uh, yeah that. Yeah. Can schools please stop using them, please? Please? <laughs> just go back. Yeah, tell them why. Oh, goodness. Because oh, it, it's rubbish. It is. It's just, yeah. it doesn't, it doesn't do anything. It's, um, it's, the, the best thing about the whole class dojo stuff, right, is the the interaction you can have with parents. So the parents can instantly know whether a child has done well in class or whether they have done whatever they have done in class and how many dojos they've got for a particular piece of work. So then the emphasis, emphasis comes on collecting dojos, collecting these little badges, these points uh, against your little character in your class. And that becomes the emphasis, not the behavior. It's how many dojos can I get today? Can I beat my friends? How will I beat my friends? I know. I'll just sit like this, fold my arms and say nothing. Mm-hmm. I'll do that. It's, it's not a, I'm behaving well because I want to intrinsically. I'm behaving well for the extrinsic reward of a dojo. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think that whole system, um, time and time again, demonstrates it's not really working that well so when i go into schools and I see these dojo points and teachers going you got a dojo i look at the faces of the children and the children are just thinking i don't care anymore yeah. <laughs> you know even year five and sixes who don't want to have dojos they want they want their teacher to recognize they've worked hard they've behaved well and they want that recognition they want to know that they've done well and they feel proud of it as well when you have that culture of good behavior in a school and good behavior management in a school and the expectations are high and the children are meeting those expectations, children intrinsically feel good about achieving it for themselves, not just for everybody else in the class, but for themselves. They're doing it. This is working for me. It's, it's, it's having an effect. And, and, and building those habits in so that they are habits of a lifetime. It's not, yes. you, know, you, you will not behave because you got a dojo. You will behave because that's, that's what is good behavior. Yeah. So if you, if you just behave because of a dojo, because of getting a dojo, you, you know, when you go home and you go to your friend's house, you won't behave there no. because there's a, there isn't a dojo there to be. There's no dojo. No. Yeah. How, how easy it is to say please and thank you in our society yeah. and how little you hear it. Yes. these days yeah. simple little things please and thank you that's, 
yeah, exactly. I I totally agree with that. So I have to take a short break for news. Yes. Uh, but I'm going to leave you with a question to think over while uh, we listen to the news. And when we come mm -hmm. back, um, you can let me have your thoughts on this. And the question is, what would you say to me if I told you that all bad behavior is communication of unmet needs? This is Teachers Talk Radio, and this is Teachers Talk Radio News. This is your latest Teachers Talk Radio News with Gail Glenn. A new documentary will follow primary and secondary schools in Nepal and Scotland as they join forces to learn from each other and tackle climate change. Interfilm Scotland and Chapromo Studios in Nepal will film the documentary which will focus on the experiences which each have had of climate change using an interdisciplinary approach. Students are conducting research by testing air and water pollution, CO2 levels, temperature and rainfall, as well as undertaking litter analysis and assessing biodiversity. Acting Principal Teacher at Stobhill Primary in Midlothian, Donna Hanley said, the project enabled pupils to learn about climate change in a real life context. She said, with COP26, it is imperative that we make use of the Connecting the Climate Challenge programme and maintain this momentum to build on people's understanding and motivation to protect our planet for our future generations. Retired teacher Carolyn Coster from Bradford is taking her dog, who has been assessed by the charity Pets as Therapy, into schools to help children with their reading. The head teacher of Mepershall Academy said it has been amazing having Mrs Coster and Duke into school. She said, Lots of children struggle with reading. It's very difficult for them to read in front of people. But for some reason, when they read to the dog, all that stress is taken away from them. And it really supports them with their learning. Mrs Coster lost her hands and feet after Covid led to sepsis in March 2020. This has been your daily education news briefing. Need support with your phonics teaching? Did you know Oxford University Press now has three DFE validated programmes to help you? Read Write Ink Phonics, Floppies Phonics and the brand new Essential Letters and Sounds. Essential Letters and Sounds will get all your children reading well, quickly, using phonics books you may already have in your classroom. Developed by the Knowledge Schools Trust English Hub, it's affordable, easy to use and makes teaching phonics with letters and sounds more effective. Whatever your school's phonics needs, Oxford has the solution. To find out more and receive support from your expert local educational consultant, visit oxfordprimary.com forward slash phonics. Welcome back. This is The Late Show on Wednesday the 17th of November. We are live on Teachers Talk Radio 
and I have Kevin with me who's been talking about ITE and behavior. So right now we have, we have, we've moved on to behavior now. Um, so Kevin, what would you say mm. to me if I told you all bad behavior is communication of unmet needs? I would have to disagree. Okay. And, and then I can, can I just leave it there, please? Okay, okay, right, no, that's fine. That's okay. <laughs> no, no, no. Um, I, I, I don't, I don't, uh, I, I don't agree with that statement. I've, I've looked at the evidence behind it. I've read blog posts. I've, I've read books about it. I've read articles. I've looked at some research. I've whatever I've, I have, I have tried to see it from another size. Uh, we talk about the. Um, not looking, you know, this confirmation bias. I'm not looking for a confirmation bias on one possibility or one approach. I want to see every approach for what it is. Mm -hmm. But I haven't yet found something that's going to say to me, it's all unmet needs. It's mm -hmm. not. I do not agree to that. Because children, um, I'm not going to say children are children. No. Children no. will naturally play and will do what children do in a class because children want to do these things. That's what children want to do because they want to do it. So I've said what I wouldn't say and I've said it. Children are children. Yes. Um, in a school environment, we have we have rules because we want those children to be safe. We want the, the room to be safe. We want an environment which is safe and conducive to learning and to teaching. And these rules are there so that everybody knows what they are. We adhere to them. Now, if we have them in place, we should follow them. Obviously, there may be children in the class where you need to have, it's all about the um, uh, these particular children's needs. There may be special educational needs. There may be disability, SAND, uh, which affects behavior. And that's about the relationships that you have as a teacher with those particular children. Mm -hmm. uh, ADHD, autism, dyslexia, Asperger's, it's... We need, to, as teachers, we need, and, and schools, we need to know of those children's needs and how best to meet those needs. However, we still have these rules in our classroom where we would like every child to do the best that they can to meet these rules and to hit those high expectations as best that they can. Those things about, oh, it's, a, it's, a, it's just a cry for help, uh, an unmet need that we don't understand. Um, I think we need to be very careful about going down that road because there is not enough evidence to demonstrate uh, whether or not that is a valid way to approach behavior management within a school. That's what I would like to say. Yeah, and and my, my fear is that by saying that we are diagnosing within scare quotes uh, a condition which the child may not have because we, mm -hmm. we are not, uh, you know, we are not qualified to say whether the child we has are any, not. any unmet needs or not or whether that behavior is a manifestation of some some need with the child has. So, mm -hmm. unless, uh, so unless we are, uh, unless somebody qualified tells us that you know this child will need some, um, you know, the, the behavior policy will be have to be modified. Your expectations will have to be uh, modified in order to meet the child. That then is fine. But as as a as a teacher, I don't think we can we can decide whether that is the case or not. It, it, I don't think so. Um... As you say, we're not qualified. We're qualified as teachers. We're qualified in specific teacher training where we've been trained to be teachers. We are teaching subject matter to children, yes. uh, no matter what age. We are not psychologists. 
we don't know about whether or not there are unmet needs. It's purely guesswork when it comes to it. Anybody who says about unmet needs, if they could just tell me, I, if I ask them a question, can you explain to me what these unmet needs are? And they start to give me some sort of long-winded answer. I instantly know they have no idea. They haven't a clue. They're not trained for it. So how we can expect new teachers, older teachers, uh, experienced teachers in classrooms to have any idea of what these unmet needs are, um, I don't think that's the right way to go. I think at the end of the day, it's these relationships um, that we build with the, t- the children w- w- that we teach are incredibly important. I am not uh, as someone who works in IT and tells the uh, uh, lectures my trainees to say, be strict, be be uh you know don't smile and all this i i tell them you've got to build relationships they are key the key to make things work but also remember that the consistency with the patterns the rules that you have the routines that you build into place uh the responses that you give to the children um sometimes you don't even have to say a single word you just have to look you just have to stand beside them you just have to tap the table they know you're there. You walk away. You've got the class back again. Yes. And we do a lot of that within teacher uh, education. We do a lot of that throughout our training and demonstrating to, to our trainees so that they can see it when they go into schools. They can try it themselves and they can notice the impact that they can have by just having that presence in the class without having to work out, is this an unmet need or not? Right. right. Again, I totally agree with that. Um, we have- Quick, we've just got about two minutes left before we oh, finish right. the show. So, really? Uh, yes, I know. It's, it's flown by, hasn't it? It's, yes, it's it has. Really, really interesting. And I've got some questions which I never got to ask. Uh, mm. But but I think I'll just finish off with um, high expectations. Mm. Why are they important? So in, in about a minute and a half, why setting high expectations is important? Well, you wouldn't set low expectations. <laughs> really. True that, true that. Yes. There you go. Next yeah. question. <laughs> That's very well handled, very well answered. Thank you, Kevin. Would you say that, what would you say that if somebody says um, setting high expectations for behavior um, mm. is um, discriminates against students who may have special education needs? I think we've covered a bit of it earlier, but just in, in about 30 seconds worth of no uh i I don't think so um i think we're making excuses uh for students or uh, children uh with uh, whatever background whatever physical background or uh whatever ailment whatever it might be um these high expectations are important for all children uh, because we want every child to succeed we want them to be the best that they can be and having these rules these uh, routines in place in a classroom and everybody understands what they are and they try the best that they can with them in place and you understand where these children where they're coming from uh who they are these relationships are built there all you can expect for certain children is the best that they can give you and you can encourage them to be the best that they can and that's what we want really isn't it Exactly. Set high expectations, put in reasonable adjustments where they're needed. Yes, yes uh, of course. And, and, and there you have it. So mm. lovely. Thank you ever so much, Kevin. That has been really No, thank enjoyed. you. It has been I've really, really enjoyed it. Thank you. I enjoyed it really. And thank you so much for taking time out on you know Wednesday night, coming to talk to us about behavior. Um, I'm going to go about, back and um, and think about differences in, um, in fact, I might ask some of my friends, but 
difference is in Northern Ireland and England and and family structures and and family support systems. So you've mm. given me things to think about. Thank, <laughs> yeah. thank you so much. Thank and, you very much. So and thank you to everybody who's been who's who's been uh, listening. Um, have a good night and goodbye. You've been listening to Teachers Talk Radio. Tune in live and listen back at ttradio.org. We look forward to hearing from you next time on Teachers Talk Radio.